too. Good morning, Rethink Church. How are we doing today? Yeah. It's so delighting to see so many kids join us for service this morning. I think that makes for a really good time. So church, I invite you to stand on your feet and worship with us, and we're going to just have a really good time this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. share a word with you from Psalm 100, and it goes, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, kind of like you did this morning. Serve the Lord with jubilation. Come before him with rejoicing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving 
in his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. God is so good, church. He is so faithful, and he loves you. I think that requires a response from us, right? Whether it be singing, whether it be lifted hands, it requires a response. So church, this morning, I encourage you to respond to the call of God this morning. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacle.
church you give life Your breath in our 
Come on, can we just give a hand clap of praise to God this morning? You're so good, Abba Father. We bless your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet together today again in your presence. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive your word, tune our ears to hear what you're saying this morning. Open up our hearts to receive you, Lord. We hold nothing back from you this morning, Lord, but we're here for you to know you better, to experience you, Lord. So Lord, would you meet us here now? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, church. Isn't it so good to be at church this morning? I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. I want to be here this morning. And one of the things that we get to do during the month of July is our kids in elementary get to join us in the service. And I have only heard amazing things about how these kids have impacted the service these last few weeks. So kids, good job. Thank you for being in here. We also, yeah, give them a round. It gives our volunteers an opportunity. I don't know if you know this, but if you serve in kids' ministry, you sacrifice your time in the service that morning. We have church and we worship Jesus down the hall, but they don't also get to be with adults worshiping. And so July gives us an opportunity to kind of lighten the load down there for a month. So I'm super grateful that the kids are in here today. And because the kids are in here, we get to have a little more fun. I am, I am not usually the person who does announcements, so I'm going to use a cheat sheet this morning guys. If you are new here, we are a fun church. We actually do love to have fun together and be in community with one another. And we just want to welcome you. If you're new here this morning, we're so glad to have you. Um, we would love to know that you're here. We're not going to do anything weird or awkward. We just want to say hello and get to know your name. And maybe you could meet someone new that you didn't know when you walked in the doors this morning. So you can do this one of two ways. There is a way for you to go to the back in the cafe area where there's coffee. If you're new, you should also know there's coffee and tea in the lobby. Um, so you can go out there and uh, go to the guest services table. And we have a little gift for you. And you just literally fill out a, a short survey or a card. Not a survey. It's just a card. Um, or you can text. If you aren't ready for that stuff yet, you can text um, here to Rethink Church's phone number, which is 219 Two three three two three one one. Again, we just want to say hi. Okay. Um, we have a couple of things that are going to be happening over the course of the next few weeks, and we want to tell you about them. Number one, we have baptism that's coming up next Sunday. If you are a Christian, if you have asked Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, and you want to live your life for Him, and you have not been baptized, let me just tell you, baptism is your next step. It can be a little intimidating to stand in front of the church and get baptized, but not here. Here we celebrate. Um, and so we want to celebrate you and the decision that you've made to follow Jesus. So if baptism is your next step, you're going to go to the church website, which is a little different in the ending. So I'm going to tell you what it is. It's rethinkchurch.cc, not .com, .cc. And you're going to click on the about page or the about tab and then you'll go down to baptism and you can register there or you can see Mark at the end of the service or myself, okay? Um, also, child dedication or family dedication is coming up in two weeks. If you want to participate in that, um, you do have to register. There is a class that's held next Sunday after church and we want you to be a part of it. We want you to know is family dedication, okay? And so that class will happen right after church next Sunday. You do need to register. If you go again to that website, rethinkchurch.cc, there's actually a tab that says family dedication. You just click on that and you can get registered and I'll reach out to you this week and give you a little bit of a snapshot of what to expect, okay? Um, we have today a town hall meeting. It sounds very like official, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, our town hall meeting happens once annually on a Sunday, typically, and we actually recap what we have done in the past and where we feel like God is heading us into in the future as Rethink Church. We're going to be doing some celebration as well. Let me tell you, if you are an investor, and I'm going to explain that three ways. If you are an investor, you give of your time. 
you give of your finances or you regularly attend this church, you're going to want to be a part of this town hall meeting because we're going to talk about where we're going as a church, okay? There are going to be kids in here with us, and so I do ask that if you have a child in the nursery, it hap- this, sur- this uh, meeting is going to happen pretty quickly after service, so if you could go and get your kiddo from the, the nursery and bring them back in here, we know it's going to be a little noisy. That's all right. We're all family, right? <laughs> so the kids will be in here with us during the town hall meeting, and uh, it won't be super long. It'll be pretty short, um, but we want to do some celebrating. So um, we had an opportunity over the course of the last couple weeks to watch the movie The Sound of Freedom, and it is a hard movie to see. Um, there were people around us eating popcorn, and I felt like I should smack it out of their hands. <laughs> do you not know what's happening? Uh, <laughs> um, but we saw The Sound of Freedom, and Mark and I both left thinking, you know what? We're not defeated, and here's why. Our church partners with Destiny Rescue, and Destiny Rescue is actively um, saving children from human trafficking situations every single day, you guys. And so when you, yes, Amen. We have been so proud of the way you guys have stepped up to be a part of that mission. And um, it's a partnership. We have friends that are a part of the organization. And just daily things are happening that are just so terrible. And there are men and women who are going in and they're rescuing these kids. And they're giving them hope. They're telling them about Jesus. And they're giving them a future. And so you get to be a part of that. Sunday will be our mission Sunday. And you'll have an opportunity to give that way. If you are here this morning and you appreciate the lights being on and the air conditioning and being a part of this community, you know that that happens because of your sacrifice, because of your giving. So thank you so much for giving to the mission and the vision of Rethink Church. If you are here and you don't know how to give, there's a couple ways to do that. You can give in the black box in the back um, with cash or check. Um, If you prefer to give online, you can go to rethinkchurch.cc and click on the give tab and you can give that way. We are so excited. The Ulrichs are so excited to be back with you this morning. If you were here the last two Sundays, can we give a round of applause for the people who served so faithfully? Yes, absolutely. We are so, so proud of the team that God is bringing together here. And uh, we, we really appreciate everyone who sacrificed in order for church to continue to go on. We love you. Lean in as Mark brings the message. Stories are the language of the soul. They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus's way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. Um, I will be reading to you from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. This I am reading from the New Living Translation. And this is the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of of parables such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. 
As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as what had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. All right. Well, hey, welcome back to church, or welcome to church. So my name is Mark, it's the pastor of church, and in under, somewhere in the rows, there are some uh, note cards or activity sheets for your kids if you guys want to follow along in that way. So coloring and all that kind of stuff. So this is going to be a great time. So we are stepping into Mark chapter 4, and it's Jesus once again. He's going to teach in parables. And so he has a series of parables that we're going to work through. And what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to work through and say, okay, what does it look like? What are, what are a parable? Like, what does it actually do? Um, and so we sometimes misunderstand it. Uh, and we think we have an understanding because we live in America in 2023. America, you know what I mean? So we think we have an understanding of everything, and it's like, maybe not all the time. So what we're going to do is take a few weeks and understand what parables are, and then I want you to see a pattern through Jesus' teachings and how he uses parables, because it's crucial. Uh, when I was in Israel, we were part of the Jerusalem University's uh, cohort there, just for a quick tour, and we sat down with one of my friends, his name's Brad, his professors, and he was explaining Jesus and and this professor at Jerusalem University is not a Messianic Jew, meaning he doesn't follow Jesus. But he said that the, the parables of Jesus are the most sophisticated parables in all rabbinic literature. That there are so many layers and so many sophistications and stuff like that. And he was like, you have no clue, and, and I don't study literature, but in the, within that, uh, that world that there's a whole genre of literature of just parables. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of parables. Jesus did not invent a parable, but he just utilized it. Some people say he perfected it, kind of like a chicken sandwich. Makes sense, <laughs> right? So in that genre, there are predictable patterns. There are things that you can just kind of expect. Uh, almost like no, no parables in a, in a vacuum. Every parable is connected to the Hebrew scriptures. And what we call them, what they're called, are called remezes. It's like a hint. So if I were to call out a hint to you and say something like, I'll be back, that's a hint in the kind of movie I'm thinking about, right? Which is? Terminator, right? If I said, Luke, I am your father. Star Wars. Now, do I have to explain the whole genre to you, right? Or if I said, baby shark? You're welcome. There it is. It's locked in now, right? I accidentally, this year, I accidentally, like I was just playing a YouTube uh, video on YouTube, and I forgot to like stop the page, and it just kept playing. And it went into, like, baby shark mode. And I kept hearing something in the background, like, what the heck is that song? Like, I felt my kids were pulling a prank. I was pulling it out myself. So all of those to say, like, we, can, we have these understandings where we just, like, drop a little hint, and we, get, we could literally unpack an entire thing, but nobody has to explain it to us, right? This is what Jesus does, or this is what the rabbis do when it comes down to the remezes or the hints. What they're doing is they're dropping these hints in there, and the audience, the original audience, would be like, yeah, that makes total sense right? And that's part of that process. And so what, we, what I want to understand is there's a couple things that Betsy just read for us. The phrase again, that just, that's like a mic drop for me, that there's this pattern that Jesus lives and this rhythm that he lives where he's kind of doing ministry and then there's a crowd and then he isolates himself. He kind of hangs out by himself just to connect with the father. But this pattern of rhythm and stuff like that is crucial to me. And I just want to ask you like, do you have a rhythm in your life? Or do you just haphazardly live life? And if you do have a rhythm, does it model or reflect the rhythm of Jesus? Or is it just kind of like, hmm, we'll see what happens. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a free day, a cheat day, and all that. Like, enjoy that. Like, last Sunday, it felt like I was cheating. I was sitting at South Haven Beach, and I just sat there, like, antsy, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, 
and I just felt like it was like a cheat mode, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to, and as a pastor taking vacation, here's the deal, it feels like, like normally when you work a job, you're like, peace out, you know, like whatever. As a pastor, though, it feels like there's this tension mode of like, God, everything I've done, and God's like, what do you mean, what have you done? Like, I'm pretty sure I can hold this church together, like, you know, and it's this mode of like, all right, God, it, like, it's a killing of the ego is what I call it, and this is why we take two weeks off every summer. One, one, some, one week is like, that's easy enough. We can fake it. That second Sunday, every time, it's a killer. Okay, like, literally, it's a killer of my ego of like, okay, God, it's, I'm not that important, right? And that's, that's a constant reminder. And it's, that's part of that rhythm that you have to understand. There's a rhythm that God is asking us to do. And then this beautiful word of the crowd, this large crowd shows up. Almost all the time, it seems like Jesus has a crowd around him. But this large crowd shows up. We'll get into how it was so big and where, where it was at and stuff like that here in a second. But these crowds. And so here's Jesus, and he has the most important message to tell of all human history. And what's he do? Does he give us a step-by-step instructional manual? Does he give us like an Ikea manual that nobody can understand, so you just YouTube it anyway? Does he, like, what's he do? He tells a story. And he tells a story that we can remember, that we can think about and stuff like that. So and in this beautiful way of doing it, that somebody would see something, like you would, the audience would see it, or see the, the images in the story, and then reflect them on it. The, the purpose of parables was not to answer a lot of questions. The purpose of parables was to actually get the audience to start thinking about it and ask more questions. Remember in the Jewish culture, if you want a conversation to keep happening, you ask more questions. If you want it to stop, you give them a direct answer. So Jesus is constantly wanting his people to think through what does this really look like. So he doesn't entrust uh, everything to the crowd, um, but he teaches them in glimpses. And then he entrusts the mission and the ministry of his, of his kingdom to the apostles. And he expects them to carry it out. And it's this beautiful twofold happening. Like the crowd's going to come, they're going to hear him teach a parable or so, and then they're going to go back and think about it. And they're going to constantly see the images of these parables and keep thinking about it. And then eventually an apostle or disciple or leader of the church is going to come by, perform a miracle, talk about Jesus, offer salvation, and they're like, okay, I get it. Does that make sense? It's not like this, like we, we have such an immediate tendency, don't we? Like have you ever been to a church where it feels like you're being sold something? It's like you have to decide right now. Do you? Like there's, there has to be a sense of urgency in a sense, right? But also like I'm not a sleazy car salesman. If I was a salesman, my family would starve. <laughs> I'd just be like, you want this thing or not? All right, moving along. You know what I mean? Like that's, I'm not going to manipulate you. So there's that part of that process. But here's the deal. 90% of Jesus' audience were, were peasant farmers. A good portion of them were illiterate. So how do you get the most important message in human history to an audience that doesn't really understand? but they do understand stories. Does that make sense? And it's not that we're better because we can read than them. It just means that we're, we, we grew up in America in 2023. There's that, right? Israel has a better, the ancient Israelites have a better understanding of parts of life than we all ever have. They understood farming. That was their everyday language. And so here's Jesus, and he has the most important message in human history, and he tells them a story. And the, the science and stuff like that are starting just to catch up to what Jesus and the ancient rabbis knew. There's something that happens when you tell a story that you can communicate that you can't communicate in other, any other way. For about 10 years, I've been studying communication, both from the stage and other places and stuff like that. I've been part of Talk Like Ted cohorts. I've been talk, part of uh, Dan and Chip Heath's cohorts and stuff like that on how to like, really get things to stick and, so, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for about 10 years now, I've been working with different groups and stuff like that. And both uh, Carmine Gallo, who's an expert who studies TED Talks, which think about how boring your life has to be to like study speeches. But yet, companies and car like CEOs will hire him for millions of dollars basically a year to say, hey, teach us how to communicate, right? So if we want to get something sold, we have to learn how to communicate. So they hire guys like Carmine Gallo or Dan and Chip Heath and stuff like that. And so what they've said is they, they cited these, these realities, that when, an, when a communicator only uses words, three days later, 10% of his audience can remember what his, the content was, the communication was. 
If you take that same audience and you add a picture, 65% of the message. And I want to say this because we have a lot of teachers here. Pictures are not graphs. A picture. Right? So think that through. Like it's not like here's this bar chart. Like who cares? No one's going to like remember that. So a picture. That, that retention goes up to 65%. When you get somebody to experience what you're talking about, the retention plan goes up to around 85 to 90%. So what do you do when you can't take everybody to Israel? You tell stories. That's full of images. That's the next best thing. Science are just now starting to understand this. This is what we call neurocoupling. Neurocoupling is this reality, and you guys have this, per, this reality down too. You have the communicator, the speaker, and then you have the listener, the audience, right? As the listener, your brain is extremely efficient to knock away the stupid, boring stuff that you don't care about. The information, the data, the facts, all the studies, they don't care, right? The communicator is the person who's responsible to get that stuff to stick to your, to your audience. So how do you do that? You tell a story. If you can tell the story, the audience automatically lowers their ops, the, the roadblocks, and the information can stick to the audience. Scientists now just starting to figure this out. The ancient Hebrew uh, rabbis and stuff like that already understood this. Jesus is considered one of the most brilliant communicators of all history. And he did it by telling stories, for the most part. Over a third of Jesus' teachings are, are all parables. And we love stories, don't we? Here in America, we spent over $31 billion at the movies last year in the middle of a recession, or what most people would call a recession, right? So you would look at this and be like, how do we have that much money to spend? Well, because we want to be entertained. And the producers of Hebrew, uh, sorry, the Hollywood movies also understand if you want to change culture, you can't just force it, so you entertain them away. If you want us to understand things and accept things and all that, just teach it like Watch it in the movies. Here's, here's a trend I just want you to think about. If you see something in the movie that seems a little bit too far-fetched, like a way, like not our culture, give it five to, sorry, 10 to 15 years, and it'll be part of our culture. What you laugh at, you consider. What you consider, you ponder, and what you ponder, you usually adopt. Just think that through. Watch the pattern that's there, right? So here's this reality. And so here's the, the it's a Harvard Business Review quote, this guy named Robert McKee. He says this, the best way to unite an idea with an emotion is by telling a compelling story. In a story, you're not, like, you not only weave all this information to, tell the, to the telling, but you also arouse your listeners' emotions and energy. You get them to respond in certain ways. So, best teachers tell a lot of stories, don't they? You just start to understand this. So here's the question I want us to raise. What is it that Jesus wants us to understand? What's the idea that he's trying to get across to us? If you remember in chapter 3, he makes this statement that's extremely hard for his, for his audience to hear, his family to hear, but it's really, really good for us. That his family is not based on le- uh, lineage or last names, but it's based on what? Those who do the will of the Father. So, that's great for us, but imagine being Mary hearing that. Who are my mother and my brothers? Whoa, I would never say that to my mom, like... I'm also not Jesus, so there's that. So, right? So here's this deal. He has this massive, bold statement that he's just going to say, and then he's going to follow it up with three parables. This is not an obscure pattern. This is a pattern built into Hebrew culture, that you would make one bold statement, and then you'd follow it up by two to three different things. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, where it says this, and it's usually used in the, in the court of law type thing, but he's saying this, if you find one, e- the, the, the truthfulness of an event will be found by two to three witnesses. And so what Jesus is saying here is like this pattern, you just pick it up in the Gospels, you'll see it. You'll see him make a bold statement, and then two to three parables. This is why the parables are not an isolated story form. They're usually in a theme paragraph. Does that make sense? So just follow that, like see if you can find that as well. And so what we see here is Jesus making this bold statement that, the fa- the, that we have this family that's connected to each other, right? And it's not just based on your last name or where you're born and all that. It's based on if we obey God or not. And that's part of this process we get to understand. And there's no age limit to this. Like, you, this is the beautiful thing. As a kid, you get to start doing this and living this out. And then following that, and you get to be part of this fa- his family as well. So here's what I want us to understand. Why is this important? 
If we don't grasp the, the way that Jesus uses parables, we could easily misunderstand parables. If we misunderstand parables, there's a high chance that we'll misapply the parables. And if we misapply the parables, then we may not be following Jesus correctly. And this is where the trend goes, right? So I want to make sure that we understand that they're not allegorical, meaning that there's not an, an, a meaning for every little detail. Does that make sense? Part of this process as well is that there are several different things where, um, where you just want to make it, we want everything to have a meaning, don't we? We want like, oh, I'm the farmer in this parable. Are you? Right? Maybe you're not, right? How many, like, what, what was the title, Betsy? The farmer, the parable of the, the seed and the farmer, right? So in this, this genre of literature, there's this backdrop of the thing that says this. When there's four things listed, there's three things to avoid and one thing to pursue. This is just an understanding of the Jewish literature. This is what we find in, uh, it's called the, the parable of the sayings of the avot, and that's part of this process. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase or the saying that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning? Heard that before? And that comes close, but there's a guy named who is his brilliant name. Imagine his middle school is horrible. His name is Klein Snodgrass. Brilliant theologian, horrible name, right? But here's what he says in his book uh, called Stories with Intent. Although there's some truth in that saying, this approach is uh, understanding the New Testament parables will not do. It kind of falls short. Parables are much more than illustrations and much more than just having an earthly story with a, meaning, a heavenly meaning. And although some of the concern with future eschatology, meaning how the, the future events will take place and play out, they are not about heaven. They're actually directed at this life and how we should live this out. The parables of Jesus will confront you in ways that no, nothing else will. Jesus is what he's going to do is he's going to attack the way that you live your life through the parables. Like the parable, what's the point? Of, we've all probably heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is that just to be about being a good neighbor? Or is that confronting somebody's pre, pre prejudice and the racial ideologies? Right? That's, if you look at the context, that's what it is. He's confronting the way we live our life. The majority of Jesus' parables is not about the future events. But it's how his followers are going to live out this life now. And that's part of this process right now, is what we're going to do. So, with that in mind, let's go to where this actually took place, okay? So, it's in the Sea of Galilee. It's in this place called the Cove of the Sower. And it's not like a plaque, like nobody left a plaque saying, this is where Jesus taught these parables. But here's some pretty good understanding. If we want to take a look at this picture, here's uh, in the eastern part of the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. And so, um, you have this right here. And you can see this natural little cutout, right? So if you've ever been on the water, you know that voices carry. And that's part of reality as well. So you have a mixture of water and high mountains. And so this next picture right here is going to be from the mountains looking down into uh, we see the, the cove of the sower. And so when we were there in Israel, we sat there and we heard conversations that were happening in the boat. When, the road, when nobody was driving by the boat or on the road. It was awesome to see this. And you can envision thousands of people around that cove sitting down listening to the, po the parable of the sowers and all these other parables and stuff like that. So here's that picture right there. Um, so once again, when you see a list of four things in a parable, there's going to be three things to avoid and one thing to pursue. So what's the constant image here? The sower is constantly sowing seed. You could question his intelligence, right? Like, how, like do you really want to throw so, a seed into the weeds? Probably not. Do you really want to throw it into the rocks? I've never really had a farm, but I know not to throw it on rocks or pavement, right? But what he's consistently doing is he's trying to find where the potential is. And here's what I want to point out. The seeds is the word of God. The sower is God. In my opinion, and I think what he's trying to do is like, let's just reach as much potential as possible. The variable are the soils. So what does that mean for you and I? I think it's the condition of your hearts. I think it's how we actually look into these things, right? And so we get these, the, Mark gives us ramp of 30, 60 to 100. Luke just goes for 100. Like the return on investment is 100, right? 
And so when we were in Israel, we just this picture of this guy with a bucket, and he's walking through the field, and this is how he's like throwing a sprinkler head. Grabs a bucket, throws it like that, takes a little step, keeps going. There's not like a whole lot of science here. Does that make sense? Like, I'm sure there is in his opinion, but not in, like, I was like, looks pretty random to me. You know what I mean? Like, he's just throwing it out there. So the other part of this is what I want to grab is a picture of actual fields. So if you want to take a look at this next picture right here. Oh, skip this one, sorry. So right here are two fields. Can you see them? You have one with wheat and you have one with uh, barley, it looks like, I think. So <coughs> what the farmer process was, was going on when we observed this and studied it, it was actually pretty fun to watch. So when we were there we were in, in May, and the harvest had just taken place around April, and the farmers said that they let it sit for several months. They don't touch the field at all. And in that time frame, the thorns will grow to be as tall as trees. The only real way to take care of it is to burn it all down. So early October, the farmers go out and they, can, they burn out these controlled uh, fires. And they start burning everything down. You can't plant seeds until at least the, the late fall rains happen. It's, it's not our soil. Does that make sense? This is on top of mountain rock bed. You're not touching, you're not doing anything until this something, something that is out of your control softens this up. Does that make sense? So, but what you can do is you can actually burn it, and then you go through the fields and you remove the rocks. Right? That phrase will hundred, a hundredfold. Do you think it's random? Roland says no. Betsy says no. It's not. Remember those hints? And how Jesus' teaching is full of these hints? This hint goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 20, uh, 26, verse 12, where it says this, and it's the only time in the Hebrew Scriptures that a hundredfold is ever used. Where, Je where uh, Isaac plants the crops, God blesses the crops, and he gives them a, a harvest of a hundredfold. It's this partnership. I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is, if you want a hundred, hundredfold return on investment, which we'll talk about what that is next week, is name it and claim it, right? That's all we're going to do. I'm just kidding. So uh, <laughs> we'll get into that next week a little bit. But really, I think what he's trying to get us to understand is it's a partnership. If you want to experience this partnership, what you need to understand is there's going to be a season of preparation and there's going to be a season of blessing. Because without God, we can't experience transformation. Without us, he won't. He does not force it on us. So what are you doing to prepare for this? How are you stepping into this? And what does it look like to prepare? Are you burning down any weeds in your, in your house? Are you burning down any things that are going to grow up and choke out the word of God? Are you removing the rocks? So once the fires are done and they can actually see the ground, they walk through the fields. You can go back to that other picture, Tom, sorry. And then they start removing rocks. And then what they do is they pick them up. Sometimes it's easy you just pick them up, right? And you film. So where they put them in is in, in between. It's a, it's a fence line, basically, between the two fields. And so what you do is you just pile this up, and it keeps growing. And then because you're not using it, thorns grow up in those rocky areas. And so... Part of that process is they're constantly trying to remove this. Now, you can see this picture right here. This is an older man. He's probably in his uh, late 50s, and he's in May working in Israel heat, and he's trying to get these rocks up. Here he is. He's just, I mean, sweat was pouring out as he's trying to get this out. It's a rock about this big, and he had a sledgehammer, and he's just busting this up, trying to get it out. And I remember thinking, man, there's no way this rock wasn't here last year. And so when I talked to Yehuda, the guy who lives there, he's like, no, we have to do this every year. And if you've ever planted gardens or done any farming, you kind of know this. I've always just assumed you move the rocks once, right? That would be awesome, but it's not the truth. Right? Wouldn't it be great if you just prayed that prayer once and your life was ready to accept God's word and be fruitful and multiply and all that within your life? That's just not the way it happens. Farmers, we know this, that every time there's something that we have, to un, like we have to unearth, we just do it. So we have to go through the process of wor really working that out, of burning the fields and removing the rocks, and then waiting for God to bless. So the, the, the parable, in my opinion, is not about the farmer. It's about the soils. So let me ask you this. What's the condition of your heart? 
What's your dirt look like? Only you can really answer that. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to wrap it up. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are and everything you've done for us. And God, we know that you want the best life for us. That you want your, your word not to return void. That you have a plan and a purpose for all of us. And you want the word to multiply in our lives. To return a 30 or 60 or 100 times fold return on investment. And Jesus, would you allow us to go through our part of the process? Would you enable us and empower us to burn up the weeds that are in our, in our hearts? To remove the rocks that would hinder the soil's condition? Jesus, thanks for who you are and the fact that you died on the cross for us. That not one of us in here is sinless. We all have things that are thorns or rocks in our soil that hold us back, that separate us from you and your plan. But we're trusting that you would remove all of that from us. The, great, the, the beautiful thing about grace is, God, that you've given us this ability to have life without the penalty of sin. And we believe that as we get to know you and get to grow in your life, that you take us from the, the power of sin as well. That we get to walk in freedom because of what you've done and how you want to empower us to do it. So God, would you allow us to identify the rocks, to burn up the weeds, and just get things ready for you? We love you, God. It's in your name we pray this. Amen. 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 Well, church, I want you to know this to be true, that God loves you, and I love you, and as we follow him, we'll count the best he has to offer for us. So let's go and be the church. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.